This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Mark Tan. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories and other t- news tidbits that you may have missed this week. Now, in today's instance, we're opening the show with a preview of what's coming over the weekend. King Charles III will be officially crowned on Saturday, marking the first coronation of of a UK monarch in 70 years. Now, it's going to be a three-day weekend because the UK government has also announced Monday as a public holiday. Now, Charles has never been as popular as his mother, the late Queen Elizabeth II, but the Centre for Retail Research estimates that £246 million will just be spent on souvenirs and memorabilia for this event. Now, that's a lot of biscuitins, teddy bears, tote bags, you know, <laughs> that's going to be running Tea around. Towels. Yeah, so Mark and Spencer's alone expects to sell more than 1 million commemorative tea and shortbread. Interesting stuff. I'm always fascinated by um, how people collect these items, right? I'm sure that this is, this is it's really big business when you think about it, the souvenir, the royal souvenir items. And yes, I'm sure this weekend is going to be a huge boom for uh, that industry. What else are people going to be watching when it comes to the coronation? Well, the number of people that turn up, right? Because you're having one of the biggest events and if they're, you know, UK is pretty known for its street parades, street parties. And if no one turns up at the street parade, or street party, is this indicative that the royal household, at least under Charles III, is not as popular and that the the role the royal family has in the United Kingdom is declining in time? I think, yeah, there is definitely a debate going on about the relevance of the royal family and I think attitudes, changing attitudes uh, towards the royal family going along with the demographic changes, right? So some communities may just not feel as in touch with the royal family as others and I think we are seeing those trends play out over the years, uh, whether King Charles and his family will be able to maintain that fascination people have towards the royals is one thing to watch moving forward. Yeah, so, you know, you talked about opinion polls, right? So the Financial Times runs a really interesting article about this saying, the crowning of King Charles, a new start for the British monarch. So he has, in the last seven months after taking over from his mother, I would say a side of him has emerged and I think there clearly are some PR campaigns to show a softer side towards him. And to be fair to the man, because I was listening to this BBC podcast, he was rather radical for his time. So he was already, before it became popular, an organic farmer. He believed in the environment. He was. He used to talk about talking to his plants, which people thought was just daft. But I think today it's pretty like, hey, he was doing the right thing. It's just that he seemed rather unusual uh, when people did that in the 1980s. But in terms of opinion polls, Charles' own approval ratings are 55%, still much lower than Queen Elizabeth's a, a year ago at 75%, but there's actually been a 5% percentage percent improvement, actually. Right. Okay. So uh, again, yeah, like you say, a lot of rehabilitation of his image um, and also that of uh, the Queen Consort, uh, Queen Camilla, mm. I think uh, especially given their very, very turbulent past, um, it's it's quite remarkable to see just the change of attitudes that people have 
but we have to talk about all the simmering scandals, right? Or uh, family disputes, just like every other family. They too don't get along all the time, but perhaps their fights in public, their fights are a bit more public, right? The squabbles, especially when you've got a son writing a book. Uh, so you still have scandals with Prince Andrew, Harry and Meghan. And I think some of it has been quite damaging to the household. I think all eyes are going to be on the balcony. Everyone's going to wait to see who exactly will take their position on the balcony when that famous photo of the royal family and them waving at the at the spectators. Can you yes. do the royal wave? Royal yeah, wave. The royal wave. <laughs> so just like any Chinese wedding where you know you're restricted by the size of the ballroom and you have to basically not invite certain people to attend the wedding. So the invitation list excludes certain prominent world leaders. Uh, no surprise, uh, Russia's not been invited. Uh, Belarus, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Syria and Venezuela are leaders that have been left out of Charles' invitation guest list. Now, of course, the one that's everyone is looking at is the Duchess of Sussex, Miss Meghan Markle herself. Will she be coming? No. I think it's quite clear. Yeah, it was made early on that she wouldn't be attending because um, uh, their son is having a birthday and she'll be remaining in California for that. Can't um, you bring a son to UK for his birthday? All these questions which we are not privy to the answers. Is uh, there something special in California that... Anyway, I'm, I'm just thinking aloud. I'm just thinking aloud. The royal family has family issues just like the rest of us. But uh, this will probably dominate headlines over the weekend. And I'm sure we'll cover what some of the highlights are uh, when we come back on Monday. But let's turn our attention um, from the royal spotlight to artificial intelligence and some of the policy developments that have come up this week. So this week, the godfather of AI has stepped down from Google at the age of 75, Jeffrey Hinton, right? It to me personally, it's very sad for a man at the end of his life to turn back the legacy that's developed, you know, all these years. I mean, that's open to interpretation, yeah. right? Does that mean that just because he stepped down, he's turning his back on this? Well, he's come out to say a few things, right? Of mm. course, we can interpret it differently. But the key thing he mentioned is what will happen when AI becomes more intelligent than humans. Now, ah, some that's of us, a big if, though. Yeah, but some of us have already argued that the AI is already more intelligent than humans, right? Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but yes. Yes. So for me, I mean, fact and fiction. I mean, has anyone watched the Terminator movie franchise, <laughs> right? Where we had this guy called Miles Dyson who created Skynet, right? So thin lines separating fact and fiction for AI may have evaporated already. I mean, okay, so you, you, you give the example of the Terminator. I will give the example of Wally. <laughs> <laughs> the, the robot and the kind robot exactly Wally and Eva were examples of maybe AI gone right or AI with the conscience I don't know but this is uh, sparking a lot of concerns and a lot of heated discussion so much so that even the White House has come in right to yes. kind of set up a framework or some kind of uh, policy uh, uh, rules regarding AI yeah so the, the argument is that if we don't put in these controls sooner or later questions about even things like our data, how much of it will be released out there, right? And will will actually, what is the word? Bad forces, is that the right word? Uh, Malevolent forces. forces. will use it against our interests, right? Uh, for, let's say, crime, uh, spy on us, questions about this all come up. So I think governments are like rushing to actually come up with legislation because the speed in which AI is being used, adopted, has really taken me by surprise. Like, honestly, a year ago, did we even hear about AI very much? Not much. No, we were still talking about the metaverse. What metaverse? Everyone's forgotten about that already, right? So is AI going to be the flash in the pan or here to stay? Either way, governments are getting nervous. Legislation is being rolled out. I wonder what Malaysia is going to do, though. 
I think there is a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of questions on that. If you actually look at Utusa Malaysia this morning, their front cover is about concerns of which AI will, uh, which jobs will be impacted by AI. You know, I think that's one of those um, concerns that a lot of people have. I'd like to link that into, I suppose, the debate that's happening over in the US in the media industry. I mean, the writers, mm. uh, the writers of television and film uh, productions, they've declared a strike this week. Yeah, for the first time in what? Uh, Pre-COVID? Since 2007. I think the last strike was in 2007. So they've called a strike this week over compensation matters, but also over the evolution of their industry and just the changing patterns in the way they're working. And ChatGPT and AI, uh, AI really, was cited as one of the concerns that they have about how the work is changing. Do you think we will be replaced by AI? At least the stuff that we write, you know, will that all be one day just be AI generated? So with Daniel Bastard of uh, Reporters Without Borders, he said that AI will not replace journalists anytime soon. I certainly hope so. But he also asked for a mechanism to regulate when AI can be used for journalism and when AI should not be used for journalism. Right. And I I think there should be rules also on disclosure, right? Media organisations need to be really transparent about what it is that they use AI for, when AI is used. Um, And yeah, to some extent, I agree with you, Mark, and, and also Daniel Bastard, in the sense that there will still be room for human thought and creativity Mm. in the process Uh, but I think with this introduction of technology we are still trying to find that balance and find those levels and um, hence all the uh, uproar. And earlier this week the World Economic Forum came out with a report Future of Jobs and guess what job they put as number one? For being lost to AI? Or or being required AI uh, intelligence data scientists. Right. Uh, That's so, the number one job people will be looking for. So you've got kids, Marge. You should need to tell them that they need to go into this field and, you know, for their studies and stuff. So what's the f- job that will be lost? Like, will be replaced? Because uh, the report doesn't say the loss, it says the one that became. <laughs> IBM already warned, right, that 30% of their jobs will be uh, taken up by AI. So everyone just be mindful of no, that. And with IBM, I think a lot of us have forgotten something called IBM Watson. That's right. They were one of the pioneers of this uh, technology in a way, right? They've been rather, rather silent and muted on this, but uh, maybe we're going to see that more pick up. Maybe it's not working too well. Well, it's coming up to 9.47am. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll come back with more of the top stories that have percolated in the headlines this week. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. 9.47 a.m. You are listening to WTF or What's the Focus on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana with Xiaoning and Mark. Now, earlier in the morning, we were talking about Malaysia's leap in the World Press Index rankings. And you can listen to our chat with Daniel Bastar of Reporters Without Borders. And also on Live and Learn, Lim Su An spoke to media rights advocate Ding Jo An on the report. You can look up these two conversations on the BFM app or the website. Uh, but uh, we are turning our attention to another index in in which we have uh, also pretty good rankings or bad rankings, depending on how you want to look at it. And that is the Crony Capitalism Index by The Economist. Yeah, so this this index, you know, Malaysia, we're always good for all the wrong reasons, right? So we rank number three out of 43 comp- uh, countries where... Uh, billionaires' wealth as a percentage of GDP, this is 2023, most of it actually come from crony sectors versus non-crony sectors. So, okay, let's let's t- have some context here, right, in terms of how the economist comes up from this, uh, comes up with this 
index. Yes. And it starts with data from Forbes. So they publish an annual stock take of the world's wealthy for nearly four decades. Now, interestingly, in 1998, there were 209 billionaires with a total worth of 1 trillion. That was 3% of GDP. Fast forward to this year, there are 2,640 billionaires worth 12 trillion or 12% of GDP. Now, most of those listed do not operate in what we call rent-seeking sectors. Let's classify what that means, right? So an economic rent is the surplus remaining what's capital and labour have been paid, which when there's perfect competition, it's zero. Um, And uh, yeah, so... So rain seeking is common in sectors close to the state. So you have like banking, construction, property, natural resources... (gasps) Describes Malaysia's economy. Okay, uh, so it can be sometimes possible for rent seekers to inflate their earnings by gaining favorable access to land, licenses, and resources. They may form cartels to limit competition or lobby the government for cozy regulations. They may ban rules but do not typically break them. So I'm just reading for the economists. And doesn't this describe some part? Sometimes I, of some country very familiar to us. But anyway, so we rank third. Okay, and is is this not a good way in a way, right? Does it mean that we have too many crony sectors in this country? I think it's also, I guess, interesting to look at the other countries that are listed perhaps in the top 10. So we've got Russia on top, which I think no one is really surprised by. Number two is Czech Republic. Then comes us. Singapore is right below us at number four. And other uh, countries rounding up Mexico, Indonesia and India as well. Yeah, the point is really when cronyism gets out of control, right? So that the elites continue to enrich themselves at the expense of a country. And also, when we have too much cronyism, in a way, are we then suppressing innovation, the rise Mm. of entrepreneurs, right? And, you know, are we discouraging new technology, better paying jobs, all the things that we as a country suffer from, uh, the structural reform that we're calling out for? So in a way, the current government is addressing issues related to this. Uh, They've been very uh, vocal on the fact that they want to eliminate or reduce or mitigate the impact of monopolies and cartels. So I'm going to be very curious to see whether this is going to have an impact on how we're perceived in this index moving forward. Yeah. And next year, what will our number be? Will it be better? Just like the press, uh, uh, the reporters without borders uh, ranking where we actually improved. Yes, I think we need a detailed breakdown on how the billionaires are classified in Malaysia because, you know, we've got guys like Robert Kuo, Kwek Leng Chan, which I would not really consider as a crony. I mean, out of the Forbes 100 uh, richest people in Malaysia, there are a lot of guys that are standing on their own and do not rely on a monopoly or a license from the government. Well, banking is a license from the government, by the way. Uh, but other local news? Let's turn our attention to some of the uh, lo- uh, political headlines that have been percolating in our in our newspapers, right? So I was particularly curious to see uh, developments regarding what's happening in Penang, mm. particularly with the DAP party. There were reports coming out in the media about a purported uh, attempt to... Replace the chief minister. Of Penang, yeah, ahead of the state election. So this caused a bit of an uproar. And I think there has been a pretty a strong statement coming out from DAP, particularly the assemblymen that don't hold positions in... Uh, the government saying that uh, the report is not true. 
Yeah, so I think there's been a gag order imposed now. Uh, so Lim Guan Eng, of course, uh, uh, has come out to say that party leaders and members of the public, uh, sorry, not party, not members of public, members of DAP, um, to refrain from making public statements related to posts and candidates for the upcoming state elections. He said that party will take action against those who refuse to listen or ignore the warning. But you know, they say, isn't there like, there's no smoke without fire, right? Yeah, I can't help but think that this will just further spur speculation about what's happening and it does it's not a good look for the party ahead of the state elections um, especially at a time when um, there are questions over whether they can have the same stranglehold over Penang state seats as they used to do um, given the rise of Perikata national candidates during the GE15 and the fact that many of the seats that were previously held by UMNO actually fell to Perikata national mm. will that continue to grow in the state assembly as well? Of course the surprise was Nor Iza with Permatung Pau right nobody expected her to actually lose a seat to pass um, and the pass candidate of course has a big social media following but pretty much unknown in political circles and that seat had been held by her family for what a few decades already so that was a big surprise so I think yeah we'll be wondering in terms of state elections how DAP or PKR will actually be doing mm. I think other news also coming out on the MACC um, investigations into human resources and the human resources mm. ministry there's been news about uh, what's happened to some of those people involved so according to Malaysia Kini, five officers uh, attached to this HR ministry have had their services terminated with immediate effect. Uh, Malaysia Kini says that this move was part of the government's efforts to clean up the HR ministry after recent allegations of corruption and abuse of power linked to the minister's offices. They had their contracts terminated while another was transferred to the public service uh, department. That's quite a huge tranche of aides, I feel, yes. in a single ministry attached to a minister. Are they only six aides, seven aides? How does it work? I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure, yeah, we don't, we, there's no specifications as and to where, who, who where are, in the ministry yeah. they're assigned. But the fact that uh, be, as a result of this investigation, as many as five or six have been moved out, it's, it's very, it's, yeah, it's noteworthy to me. So Appar- what's going to happen to the head, the human resource minister himself? Yeah, I think uh, earlier on there were calls for him to take garden leave or, or to take a leave of absence. I think the Prime Minister has come out to say that there is no need for him to do so. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are questions as to whether he can remain in this post if there's a lot of um, suspicion or you know just concern over it. And how soon can MACC wrap up their probe and actually disclose the outcome of the probe to the public? Because this question about how workers are hired, the cost of it, who does it really benefit? Because we know it doesn't always benefit those poor workers. I think needs to be sorted out. This has been a, a long-standing issue that Malaysia faces. And it's an issue that's really affecting our economy, as pointed out by uh, economist Firdaus Rosli earlier on in the show, where he spoke about how labour is just that uh, issue that's just continued to affect sectors, even though there's been permission given to bring in foreign workers, for example, but they're not coming. And a large part of it is because of these types of I don't know, hang-ups happening mm. on the bureaucratic front. And the approvals are start-stop, right? So right now, it's it's stopped. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, if you have the time, have a read on this op-ed piece uh, by S. Taya Paran. Uh, he's a frequent commentator on Malaysia Kini and it's entitled On Ken Ming and the Enabling of Ketuanism. Have I, have I said it properly? There's I guess no? it's Ketuan... Ketuanism? Ketuananism? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of those because, words. Because uh, On Ken Ming uh, was actually on the podcast um, with uh, Amno, well, ex-Amno leaders, Kari Jamaluddin and Shara 
Zahirul Hamdan where he suggested that they should join DAP because they, uh, DAP needs prime minister candidates. All right. Uh, worth something, a debate that I'm sure is going to continue percolating in this space. But it is coming up to 9.57 a.m. That's all we have on WTF on the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next. And then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.